is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. I'm your host, Jess Root, from CardsWire.com, the USA Today NFL Wire site. With Seth Cox on the line from RevengeOfTheBirds.com and the one of the co-hosts, one of the hosts of the original Draft Breakdown podcast. And this is episode, oh, this is this is the Get High episode, right? It's episode yeah. 420. I didn't even realize that till just now. Episode 420 and we are high on the NFL draft. That was the lamest thing ever. Sorry, everyone. But if this is our draft <laughs> episode. As as we're, as we're recording for the first time since the Cardinals completed their draft class. And there are some other topics that we could talk about, like Isaiah Simmons and, and DeAndre Hopkins not getting traded, Boot Baker not getting traded, but we're, we are just going to punt those to our later episode during the week so this doesn't turn into a two-hour episode. And what we're going to limit ourselves is draft talk. Specifically, um, we'll look at our mock draft from last week. Terrible. Our overall takeaways from from the draft, and then we'll look at uh, and then we'll look specifically, we'll look at their first round pick, their their day two picks, and then their day three picks in the different segments. But Seth, how was the draft experience for you? Uh, what, How did you handle the draft with, with you and, and Justin on your show? It was good, man. I mean, we just uh, caught up the day after because uh, this got done late this year uh, with all the trades and kind of everything going on with the with the Cardinals and stuff. So, uh, we, we jumped on it on, on Friday morning and, and it was a good, was that your bonus you know, show? Yeah, that was a good bonus episode. Sign up about the, for the Patreon show. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> and it's one of those situations, you know, where you're just able to really, um, talk about everything and, and figure kind of work through things and, and doing the whole NFL draft is always interesting because, you know, obviously we're not experts on every team but we do talk about a lot of teams um, and a lot of players and so what we ended up doing was uh, discussing things and and you know obviously we make fun of Justin a lot he's a he's a huge homer of the Ohio State Buckeyes so of course he <laughs> loved the Arizona Cardinals draft um, you know picking up picking up Paris Johnson jr but more than anything he was, excited about how they went about it right and and i think that's like the talk of of the draft world was not just the cardinals pick of paris johnson jr but how they went about attaining that pick and kind of going through everything and and you know it, it really became interesting to see monty austin for work everything um after what was maybe disaster averted you know before it started yeah yeah the, the whole tamper that was it, it, we, we can now that it's happened we can crack the door open a little bit to some of the things we heard not no no details just but first off before we do that we have to talk about our mock drafts which were absolutely wrecked absolutely wrecked after the first pick because houston actually did the thing 
they actually did the thing that made the most sense, and they drafted C.J. Stroud number two, even though even though it felt like that wasn't going to happen. The betting odds, the betting Vegas got it wrong. The odds, the, the odds sports books, they got it wrong. Bryce Young, yeah, we got the Bryce Young pick. That was a given. After that, I had one correct pick to team, and that was number four, Anthony Richardson to the Colts. Seth did nail the B. John Robinson pick to the Falcons, and he also nailed Nolan Smith to the Eagles, only Seth had it happening with pick 10, and the Eagles did it with pick number 30. Um, and then we, we had a couple other picks that were in the right spot, but to different teams. Um, he had, on the mock draft from last week, Seth had the Bears taking Jalen Carter. Number 9, the Eagles traded up from number 10 to number 9 to take Jalen Carter. And so we picked that that pick. I had Peter Skronsky, like I had the Cardinals trading back with the Titans. And and the Cardinals drafting Peter Skaronski at number 11. The Titans, at number 10, they didn't trade, got Peter Skaronski. So we each nailed um, we each nailed a player to a team. Oh, and, and Seth and I both had John Michael Schmitz going to the, the Giants, only we had them had them go taking him in the first round. He went to the Giants in the second round. But so mostly, <laughs> mostly in terms of actual predictions this was a disaster of a mock draft which most people's are although we were kind of on we were kind of on point to kind of what they wanted to do such as um we knew the interest that they had in in will and the Texans had in will anderson we were we were sort of on target for a few things right yeah i mean we knew the the rumors about teams really loving Paris Johnson Jr. Um, we just didn't expect up and down with the Cardinals, right? That's no. That, that was kind of the thing. Is you know once once they traded down, we just expected him to sit there and kind of let the draft fall. But I mean, we talked about it on the podcast we had or i had the steelers moving up to the lions pick to draft paris johnson jr so i had you know paris johnson jr going at the right pick oh that was just, another one you picked yeah you had the, you just hit the, the wrong well. team you know and <laughs> and and that's the thing is and you know it's no excuse but i really didn't think the cardinals would would do that and and quite frankly and i'm interested in your opinion on this because obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Do you think in the end that Detroit would have rather – I mean, obviously we don't know what Pittsburgh would have offered, but it would have taken Pittsburgh's pick after seeing what they drafted, right? Like <laughs> – like the whole Detroit Lions taking Jameer Gibbs at twelve thing like that that was crazy baffling dude that that was a ginormous surprise of all the picks that were made so my surprises of the first round there really were only two one was I think literally the entire NFL and all the NFL fans because yeah Jameer Gibbs going going twelve to the to the Lions and then the other one but and although honestly I almost almost 
mocked him to the Lions, and that was Jack Campbell. Yeah, I, that was. I mean, I thought about that, but I'm like, yeah, that it just <laughs> like I I knew that with the athletic testing because he was one of the winners of the combines, according to what what we we went over. He is. He's a throwback. He's athletic, and it would just it just felt like too much of a connection to to put him with Dan Campbell in Detroit. I but, almost but, did it. Let but, me ask you this: if if you would have known they would have taken Jameer Gibbs at 12. There's no way you would have still thought, <laughs> oh, Jack Campbell then is the guy, right? You would have been like, actually, you probably would have been like, I have no idea what they're going right. to do. Right. Well, it's <laughs> funny because, you know, the two positions where we were like, yeah, don't just spend a first-round pick. They did both. They Running back and off-ball linebacker. Yeah. So, I mean, they they were baffling. But, yeah, I mean, the car, we had heard the scuttlebutt. I mean, everybody had heard the scuttlebutt about – the Arizona Cardinals and Paris Johnson Jr. Yes, um, that that came on strong, not just from that came like for about the week of the draft, it started coming on strong. Now, it, it, the the trade part is this is interesting. I don't know if you remember Seth because you brought up the possibility, you brought up the possibility of of the Texans trading up on the show on like the week before that, right? Um, and only I, and I was, only taking like Anderson first and then getting or taking Anderson first and then trading up for the quarterback. But this time they went with the quarterback and then traded up for Anderson, which is incredibly interesting. Um, yeah, because if I – we heard through our connections of group chat and, and connections that people have, little minor sources and things like that, that the Titans, the Titans were involved in trade talks, okay, which makes sense. Um, that that was everyone was expecting the Cardinals to trade back to eleven, everyone. Um, and then and then we heard late that the Eagles were right. making but a you know run. What? You know what that was? I think I don't. I think that was the tampering thing. I think that's though that talk that actually was happening. It must have been the tampering thing. Well, I mean, the fact that they still went up one spot to get Jalen Carter tells me that they wanted Jalen Carter. Um, yeah. And, you know, when I got that, I mean, when that information started to come out, I actually put my money where my mouth was, and I bet on Jalen Carter being the Eagles draft pick, which, which won some money. So, <laughs> so, like, that's the thing is, like, the information was good. We just, obviously, it was probably not what they were talking right. about with the trade right right uh, so when 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 they when we heard the whispers of the of the eagles in trade talks that was probably the the tampering thing when they were right. settling that um it, we found out after the fact that the cardinals had talks with the raiders um but that was actually after they had the deal with the with the texans so they were thinking of trading up from 12 to 7 um and and doing that but you know the, even out of the first one but just overall it was covering the draft it was fun it was a lot of work i'll, I'll tell you this i cranked out 56 articles between thursday friday and saturday i was so burnt out and i'm still not done with draft coverage i still have stuff that i want to write i barely got my draft grades done I've got some other stories from quotes that we got that, that I want to write about, and I haven't done it. But I got home Saturday afternoon, and I wanted to do more. I couldn't. 
I got the free agent tracker, the, the undrafted tra- tracker up, and just kept, and I didn't write a I didn't write a single article for Cardswire on Sunday, which is not normally my my mo. But I I couldn't I couldn't do anymore. I had to I had to unplug on Sunday. Yeah, and sometimes that happens, and it makes sense. I mean, it's a long long day. There's a lot of information, and you just kind of have to go through it. And and that's kind of you know what they did i mean that was but it was exciting i mean they had a trade down you had to trade up you had to trade back in the second round they had to trade out of the third round to pick up picks and that was and in the end in the end they picked up a a a first round pick for 2024 two third round picks in 2024 and then in addition they thought that the fifth round pick as well it still counts they added a fifth round pick in 2024 but that was part of the settlement for the for the for the tampering which we will talk a little bit out on Thursday. I, I think for his first draft, I think Monty did an incredible job. That it was, and I, I personally graded this Cardinals draft. Now, I, I, I have written individual grades for each pick. A couple of them, I'll talk about. People don't like. People don't like some of my takes on, that, but it's fine. You can all have to like it. But I gave the draft on on the whole an A, even though not every pick was an A. And really, there's probably only one player that makes a significant impact in year one, and that's Paris Johnson. But the fact that they were able to add some pretty decent talent, I believe, and leverage their situation to future picks, I thought was masterful. Well, you know, and and a guy that's been around us for for ages in terms of reading our stuff... um, you know, and he goes by Gungus on on Twitter and and all of that stuff. Um, you know, he he tweeted out on I think it was Thursday night, may have been Friday. I I don't remember the exact date, uh, but you know, oh, it was on uh, it was on on Friday. He said Monty picking up another twenty four third. So far, he stacked a 24 first, two 24 thirds, and the 24 and a 24 fifth. He's acquired more future picks in the first two rounds of his first draft than Kime did in a decade, and and that's that's kind of true, right? Like Kime never manipulated the draft. You know, he kind of he kind of always seemed to let the draft fall to him. He would make minor moves. We saw him make moves up that were never extremely costly for the Cardinals. Right. Um, but that was his MO is kind of just. He usually like he did more trading up in the end, but, but, but it was, back. but it was always really, I mean, there was never any like super. The, the trade up for costly. Buddha was, was, pretty significant it cost him a first but it cost him a second i think the next right. year so the trade up for buddha was significant the trade up for marco was was not but it was significant it wasn't major but it was it did cost him quite a bit but it was something we always talked about right something that i, I won't even say talked about something we always lamented was that he seemed to never understand that he needed to um, 
think about next year, right? Or think about how to manipulate the draft to have weapons and things like that for next year. And, and in one draft, Monty Austin Ford did just that. I mean, you know, you look at the Peter King quote uh, from his NBC sports, you know, article, I think probably Monday, I would assume typically when he writes this stuff, he said, if Arizona, Houston, Tennessee, all struggle next year and all finish below 500, the Cardinals would have six picks in the top 75, including two early in the first round. Austin Fort may not have gone into this draft with an intention of owning the 24 draft, but that's exactly how it turned out. And then it is. And I mean, you know, not to sidetrack this way too much, but one of the things you and I've talked about with what was going on with how he was building this team and, and kind of going about this off season was it was always with an eye towards the next two years. It was cleaning things up. It was making sure that this, um, you know, this franchise was in a spot where they could move forward for the first time and not be encumbered with, um, you know, dead cap space. And, and, you know, one of the big things that they would have to look at, obviously, is the Kyler situation, right? The Kyler contract, all of that stuff. And what they could do with it or how they could manipulate it. And they've done that now because if, and this is the huge if in this whole situation, if they have a top five pick next year that is their, of their own, and Kyler Murray plays, I would say, more than 75% of the available games. And he looks great. Well, no, no. I mean, if he doesn't, oh, you he know, doesn't. And, they're, and, and they end up picking top five, right? Now, all of a sudden, you have, you have the leverage of a, a high pick. You get just anything for Kyler and you move on, but you don't, while you're going to eat some contract with it, you're not going to be killed because you probably will have a rookie quarterback contract that you didn't have to trade up for and give up a ton of assets for. If you're good and you're outside of the top five, even outside of the top 10, say with your pick from, you know, your own pick, the Cardinals pick, all of a sudden you just have two big assets and whatever you need to go do, you can do without being encumbered or without worry of the future because, well, the franchise quarterback you have under a contract looks good. He's, he's playing well. And now go, go get weapons, go get, you know, defensive weapons, whatever it is that you need to make sure that this team is, is good. And, and doing that and having all of that in and ready to go for year two is, is just a brilliant way of, of setting up your team for the future. And, and I think you and I have both said this genuinely and we, and we mean it. Um, we have no idea whether this works out or not. We're not going to say this, you know, Monty Austin Fort and Jonathan Gannon are the guys to turn this franchise around. But what they're doing from a culture and management standpoint is a complete 180 from anything we've seen in, in terms of the last at least 
six years, including the final years of, of BA, uh, because we haven't seen kind of a, a cohesion and a, and a vision with what Austin Fort and Gannon are doing together in a long time. Yeah, it's it's very it's very cool to see them trying to balance adding talent and trying to do it the right way. They're not trying they're not trying to cut corners because the Cardinals believed before with Kaim that they were right there, that they had a good enough team to do it, just circumstances. And so they just needed they just needed something extra and the circumstances to go right as opposed to okay, let's let's kind of redo this base and you know we're we're we'll, we're going to talk about with these picks because there was a clear theme, there was a clear theme with with how the Cardinals made their selections, um, and it shifted a little bit. And and, and I, I will say that draft philosophy in terms of the types of players they got, it was not significantly different from from the Steve Kime era, but there were there were clear trends, especially when we got to day three. So let's. Let's move on from there. Coming to next on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. Let's start with the, specifically the first round pick, Paris Johnson. What do we think of him? What do we see for him coming, moving forward? That's coming to next on Rise Up Sea Red. We're back on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. The Cardinals use their first round pick to select Paris Johnson, tackle Ohio State, um, with the sixth pick overall, a guy that. You know, if they didn't, they, we always knew they were going to trade the third pick. That was going to be disastrous. They didn't, but they would have taken him third overall. Um, moving back to number twelve, they knew they weren't going to get Paris. And uh, you know, I got a text from someone who said I like the pick, but they probably could have gotten him later. We learned after the fact that that the Raiders had him basically on the top. They uh, he, he was in the top tier of he was the top of their top tier players that they were going to be available. At number seven, had the Cardinals not moved up to number six or not made a deal to go get the seventh pick, they wouldn't have been able to get Paris Johnson. And there's a, there's so many layers to this. And I will say this, and I, Monty Austin Fort just doesn't want to give any information up. It's become very clear that the Cardinals, that Austin Fort and Gannett, that this organization is now going out of their way to support Kyler Murray. You know, going from everything you hear publicly about Murray. That's everything we should have heard about Murray for the last two seasons instead of rumblings of whatever, whatever. Some of the scathing criticisms that have come out, that have come out from reports from the organization that made no sense at all. It made, never had made any sense at all of why you would do that with your starting quarterback. Glowing just... Jonathan Gannon has nothing to say but positive, 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 positive things about Kyler. We hear that, you know, Paris Johnson is a guy that Kyler wants and Paris Johnson is a guy that they get. This comes after the, basically all of the coaches and the GMs that, that you know, the GM that has contact, that kind of has con, uh, any connection with Kyler, they were out and they, they went out and supported him as he had his Heisman statue unveiled in Norman, Oklahoma the weekend before the draft. And so everything is is sort of, Showing Kyler, we believe in you and we trust you. And I asked, and we we've ever multiple reporters asked Monty because, and and I will say this, Monty's not telling us stuff because Steve Kime would joke. He he made light of the fact that Kyler was always in his ear about particular players he wanted the Cardinals to draft. 
And Monty's like, oh, oh, I, I kept, I, I heard that it was Kyler's guy. I didn't know that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the whole nation knew that Kyler wanted Paris Johnson three days before the draft, and you didn't. That said, it's great to see. You know, it, Monty Austin, Fort coming from the Patriots, believes in building from the trenches. They're building from the trenches. Their first pick is a is a is a versatile offensive lineman. Uh, can play. It should be a pretty dang good left tackle. Can play other places on the line. He's the guy that Kyler wants. I I I I like this pick on so many levels. Yeah, and you know it's one of those things that I saw a lot of a lot of the complaints. You know, being that the Cardinals used a pick on um, a a left tackle, and they, and that's the one thing they don't need, right? They've got a left tackle. Well. I think there's a couple things. The first being, you know, and, and we're not talking out of school here. This is a well-known thing. Um, DJ Humphreys is still sidelined. So the plan is obviously that DJ is the left tackle next year, but things wouldn't, change. We, wouldn't we roast them completely if he wasn't healthy and – you came into the year with, and I know people like Josh Jones, and, and and you and I like Josh Jones, but you know, wouldn't we roast them? You know, be like, oh, I can't believe you. Well, especially especially considering the the offensive lineman you had available there, because you could have gone Johnson, you could have gone Skaronsky, you could have gone Darnell Wright, you could have right. gone Broderick. Jones. There were so many options there, right? And so you look at it, you know, so the things you look at for me is obviously you know we talked about the fact that you've got a guy in in uh in Paris Johnson who's played uh I think a thousand snaps at right guard I could be wrong but right around a thousand a full a full season of right guard and a full season of left tackle of left tackle and he's excellent at both I mean excellent at both um the other thing is this and this is you know again where I get, I just get agitated because people act like because it didn't work for a player or or a couple players for the Cardinals that it, it's impossible to work. Um, you know, you look at you look at the uh, the names on the All Pro list this year, the the you know first team All Pro list, and you got Lane Johnson, the right tackle, who. Yeah, he played right tackle in college. He also played left tackle for a season in college. Um, and it's worked out okay for Philadelphia, right? Uh, you have you have obviously Joel Batonio, multi-first team all-pro. Uh, he played left tackle in college. You have Zach Martin. Um, he played left tackle in college. Like, and Zach Martin's a guard. Like, you know, these guys that act like, oh, they – you know, you have to draft a, a right guard to play right guard. No, it it's fine. You know, the, the and, Packers and have you, been doing it for years. There was a right. there was a there was a time where literally the Packers would only draft left tackles. Yeah, and that's what you have to look at. I mean, these guys come and go, and they. I mean, and and that's the thing. I you and I both still think. I don't want to say assume, but think that that Johnson's 
ultimate spot is going to be left tackle. But there's literally no reason that he couldn't play any of the four non-center positions in his first year. He's played on the left side. He's played on the right side. He's played tackle. He's played guard. He's literally done all of it. Right. He (laughs) hasn't technically played right tackle or left guard. But if we want to look at kind of the two important elements, has he played tackle at a high level? Yes. Has he played on the right side at a high level? He did at guard. So you know that he can he can at least the the movements, which is sometimes which is the hard transition is the movements as you know offensive linemen will crassly say, you know imagine like how is it trying to move from one side of the offensive line to the other? Well, try wiping your ass with your other hand. You'll get the job done, but it's messy. It's kind of it's different. Um, so if you can play the right side of the line with the right technique, which he did at guard, and you can play tackle technique correctly. It's not crazy to say that he he wouldn't that the transition to right tackle wouldn't be any problem, and likewise to just shift from left tackle to left guard, where he knows how to play the left side and he knows guard techniques, it should be fine. Like if we look at Josh Jones, okay, we'll talk about Josh Jones because he only played left tackle at Houston, and I would say outside of center that if for someone who is only played left tackle that the most difficult position to play would be right guard because one you're not only doing the guard technique but you're doing it from the other side at least if you're moving to right tackle or he's played like the times that he's played at right tackle he's been pretty solid you're still doing tackle things on the right side as opposed to being on the opposite side of the line and doing guard things. Justin Pugh's told us in the offseason that he believes, and you know, a guy that was his teammate right next to him in the locker room, suggested that Josh Jones playing left guard would be a much better, he would play much better because you're playing on the left side. And Josh, you know, and Pugh himself said he being a left tackle in college, you know, he had more struggles when he played the right side. He was he was a much better left guard than he was a right tackle because he was far more comfortable playing the left side. Yeah, and so that's what you have to look at if they do go with Jones this year, right? Um, the question is for you. Where do you think Paris plays? I think he's going to be the right tackle this year. I think that's their goal. I think so, too. People are like, well, no, it's going to be left guard. Like, listen, um, and this is I, I think this is a little bit of petty in Kyler. It's a little petty. You know what I mean? Kel- Kelvin Beecham. I don't think there's a problem with Kelvin Beecham, the guy. I just think he, he does not like the fact that Beecham embarrassed him because there are some this this is not a uh, a super high report but there's a guy who's close to Paris who who was told from Paris that Kyler asked him if he could play right tackle now we know that Paris was was starstruck when he went on his on the top 30 meeting and Kyler said hey Paris come here and he's like whoa, whoa Kyler, he knows my name and he texted his, his buddy Luke Whippler's center that everyone thought the Cardinals were going to draft. We'll get to that. It's like, oh, Kyler knows my name. And Kyler tells him. And if, if we want some more evidence of, of Kyler taking the next step in his development, he's here he is coaching up, you know, giving, giving some love to a player that he'd like to have in an organization, giving him confidence that, hey, I, I've seen you play. I like the way you move. I, I'd, love, I'd love for you to block for me. That's great to see. And and so I think ultimately, if, if if we're going to continue with the trend, if we're going to continue with the trend of kind of respecting some of the things that what Kyler wants, 
we're going to see Paris Johnson given a chance to beat Calvin Beecham at right tackle, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And it makes sense to me. I think it, you know, I think it's going to make sense to a lot of people once they start to see it. And, and then, you know, and again, I haven't, I know we've looked at this a million times, but DJ's contract has a couple years left. There, there's an out after this year easily. So, I mean, and that's, again, that's the big thing. You know, he's 30 this year. They have an out um, after next year, like you said, or after this year, like you said, where, where there's no guarantee, there's no guarantees left in his contract after this year. Yeah, and so you look at it, and you you have him cut if if he's unable uh, unable to stay healthy. I mean, he only played eight games last year. Um, I think that's a big thing that we got to realize. And so, again, this isn't you and I talking out of school. This isn't any you know insider info. This is just legitimately you have to ask the question is he going to be able to to play a full season and if he's not the cardinals have to do what what's best for the right. cardinals and and They've, they and that that's one of the great things they have so many options left tackle now because calvin beach can play left tackle josh jones can play left tackle paris johnson can play left tackle and and, and so it, what we need to establish the cardinals are not looking to replace dj as you can tell that he still is, has a very prominent place here with the organization, which is why he in particular was featured in the, in the uniform unve- unveiling. So that, that's important to know. So they, st- they have big plans for DJ. That said, that doesn't mean you ignore the fact that he missed half the season with the back injury and he's, he's at that age 30. Right. And so you just have to look at it that way. So, you know, again, I think Paris is going to get the chance to be the right tackle this season. I think their starting offensive line, you know, is going to end up possibly or is likely going to look like DJ, Josh Jones, free agent center to be named, named Ben Jones, probably <laughs> Will Will Hernandez and Paris Johnson Jr. I, think uh, that's gonna know, be- I, I have a, a I cool. Keep an eye out on Dennis Daly for starting at guard instead of Jones. I, I I would I would count on him being a particularly prominent possibility at left guard, especially when we heard Gannon say after his signing how you know Daly is better as a guard. So that's a name to watch. I'm not I'm not I don't have the information. We haven't seen anything yet in, in terms of reps and practice and in, in the off season, but. You know, left guard, keep an eye out on Dennis Daly. He's a former Titan. He's He started most of the year last year at left tackle, was abysmal, <laughs> but is a better guard than tackle. And and so I think, I think you have to look at that, and I think you have to, I mean, we have to talk about just how impressive what, Monty Austin Fort did to get that, to maneuver to get that pick. Because I think the biggest thing that are people are missing in the Paris Johnson situation as a whole is that they moved down. They got that Texans first round pick. Remember, the Texans own the the Cleveland Browns first round pick next year as well, right? Yes. And so 
they got the Texans, which is likely, I'm not going to say is going to be, but is likely to be a better pick than the Browns. And then they got 33. And all of us were kind of like, you know, was it enough? Like, I don't know. But the quote from Austin Fort to Peter King, you know, said he did admit he made the first deal with Houston with the idea of trading back up. Like he had in his mind, if we need to go get Paris Johnson Jr., because that's who they wanted. I mean, at the end of the day, Kyler's involvement, non-Kyler involvement, from what I've heard is he was their number one ranked player in the draft. Um, We've heard coming out late that they did not grade Tyree Wilson as or they medically red flagged Tyree Wilson with the foot injury or did not clear him. Which is funny injury. because Albert Breer said they had. Right. That's weird. And so, you know, uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. But the fact that when he moved back up from six or from 12 to six and he gave up 12 and 34 and i know there was and in 168 and he still got the 81st pick back i was like yo that was uh that was impressive because it was because it it, it was it's it also set up the other trade that they made on day two right and so that's the thing is like and i know we'll get to that when we get to the second round but like think about it like they got 12 and 33 next year's one and next year's uh what was it three or something like that i don't remember already well the the uh, the, the, the next year's three came from the second deal no they did get a th- third next year from oh the yeah, yeah that's right that's right they got two, yeah, yeah they have two, they have two thirds yeah so you know but they, they got you, they got they got a deal it was basically the Texans paid the quarterback tax for Will Anderson. Right. And that's, you know, I want to ask you about this real quick because that's something that's been really, um, they've they've really taken a beating from the experts. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say fans, but the experts in this situation that they overpaid that they didn't play this right and that instead of going back up and getting Will Anderson, who, by the way, I think you and I both had him as our top player on the board. Yep. But, you know, this was... This was a master class in, in really just going back up and, and figuring out and in reading i don't want to say a team's desperation because i again i think that's i think that's overstating it but reading that a team was willing to go back and get uh will anderson jr and like you said pay the price well and, uh, and i think be, part of it might have been the simple fact that i think the cardinals were on the phone with multiple people and and i think it ultimately came down that the texans 
didn't want they they wanted Will Anderson the same way a team might want to go up and get a quarterback and and so once you once you have other people involved other teams involved we go back to the the Bears going up one spot to 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 draft Mitchell Trubisky they don't do that unless there's another team involved and that you know everyone said they had to overpay um, but the reason why they had to is because they had a guy they wanted that they were pounding the table for and someone up was going to go out and get him. Yeah, and so, I mean, and Andrew Brandt's an NFL voice, you know, and stuff, and he said, catching up on this trade, Texans traded the following to draft Will Anderson. 12th pick, 33rd pick, 2021st, 2024, 3rd, 2024 first, and 2024 third. Very few, if any, NFL veteran non-quarterbacks would bring that kind of trade bounty. And so, like... It's it's just I, I just don't think it can be overstated how well the Cardinals were able to manipulate to get those players and make sure that they got the guy that they wanted, but they also were able to stack I mean, getting the the Texans twenty four first is. I mean, that in itself, that in itself was was good because we never, no one ever really thought that the Texans were involved, and we were all were wanting to get the Titans first round pick. Right, and so you know, you look at it; it's just one of those situations that you, I just don't think anybody really saw coming. Um, I will say this, if you compare it to the Trey Lance trade, which was 12 to 3, it was kind of equal in value. No, the 49ers didn't give up any additional picks in that draft in 2021. It was, and, and so they gave up two future firsts and a future third. The Texans gave up a current two, a future one, and a future three. You know... That's kind of right there at the price. Now, granted, it wasn't for a quarterback, but if you're took, talking from going from 12 to 3, you're kind of right there. Right, and so that's what it came down to. And and this team, you know, I was just impressed that they came back and they were able to make these moves and make this work out and, and get something done. I thought the first round, I mean, you can't give it anything but an A because, again, whether or not you and I agree is is, is a moot point. But getting your number one player and an extra first round pick next year is literally the definition of a home run. Again, <laughs> it we is. can we it can is. we can fight we can fight about the Paris Johnson thing all you want. It, it, you know, like, and for me, it's like I I love Will Anderson, but you you can't complain about Paris Johnson. Like they're they're getting a quality you know a guy who can be your pillar left tackle for years to come making your quarterback happy, pr- improving the offensive line, which needed help drastically. Like, And, it, you know, technically, since he is a left tackle, even though he might not play left tackle this year, you're still drafting a premium position in the top 10. Right. And I, I would say whether they play, he plays left or right tackle, addressing the offensive line and getting a premium position is a, is a premium position upgrade no matter what. Exactly. Coming up next on the Rise of Sierra podcast, Spencer of Cardinals Talk. And let us move on to rounds two and three. The Cardinals picked, made a trade, picked three more players. That's coming up next on Rise of Sea Red. 
We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast. It's our Cardinals talk on the web. Round two, round three, day two picks. There were three players they selected. And the theme of this was football character, was was want to. These are things that Steve Kime talked about. This is football character. This is the love for the game type thing. Um, but yes, the Cardinals were wheeling and dealing again. Uh, there was the report coming out entering day, uh, at the end of the first round how there were three teams desperately trying to trade back into the first round. The Cardinals, who had the second pick of the round after they had, you know, they, they dealt their pick, the, the 34 pick, as part of their trade back up to number six. And so they had the Texans pick, which was the second pick in the round. And there were teams that wanted to move up and that we felt that was that was perfect. And they were able to do that. They moved up. Um, they they traded back. The Titans moved up, picked up Will Levis, and the Cardinals moved back to um, number, what was it, 42. 41. 41. It was to 41, and then after that, they picked up, they picked up an extra third from the, from the draft for next year, um, and, and then they also swapped. So after they... So it's important. It's important that we thought we thought they were targeting someone in particular in the in the third round because they originally had number sixty six. That's what they came into the draft with, but that pick dropped down to number ninety four because of the the settlement with the Eagles on the tampering charge. So that was a big blow because they were going to have sixty six and ninety six, but then they moved. It, it became ninety four and ninety six. In in their trade with the with the uh, Lions, they moved up from ninety six to eighty one, and then they in the trade with the Titans, they they swapped that up and moved it up to eighty one or I mean seventy two, and so they were able to get back roughly in the range that they were, well, that they were at originally, and yeah, so, about about thirty picks away from from their next pick which you know people were were kind of scoffing and laughing but it really i mean 33 to 81 was about 50 picks that's that's a lot of time to wait it's it was just a you know it was a smart play to go get that and and honestly it made sense with what they were doing because as much as 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 much as fans wanted them to desperately draft a uh, a center, it didn't seem like it was ever in their plans. <laughs> it wasn't. I, I do not make a McCrish that the when they had the pick ninety four, they didn't move they didn't move up. They just added they added the, the Detroit pick so at eighty one. So they ended up with they had eighty one, ninety four, ninety six. And yeah, they had they had thirty three. They came into day two with thirty three, eighty one. Oh no, sorry, sorry, because they so thirty three ninety four, ninety six, right? No, they also had they also had eighty one from the from the trade with Detroit, and then they they parlayed. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, so they had they entered day two with thirty three eighty one ninety four ninety six. They traded back down. They traded down to. Uh, they traded down and then moved from 81 to 72. And so they, it just gave it, they still had the 94 and 96, as, as we later on found out, because the 96 they traded out of, blah, 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 blah. But uh, 
they they just it just it just was more draft manipulation. It was maneuvering. It was you know we've seen the Patriots do this for years, just try to get into the right range. The Cardinals, like Steve Kime, didn't like for whatever reason. Maybe it was just the priorities they had were never able to do that. So they moved back, added added capital. They leveraged picks for future picks, uh, which was good to see. So they they picked up an addition. So now, as of right now, they've got two first round picks, a second round pick, and three third round picks in in the twenty twenty four draft, which is fantastic. Um, but then in, in round two, I will say this: um, after they went tackle round one, I was hoping to see them go either edge or cornerback. I was surprised. Um, B.J. Ojolari was ultimately the pick out of LSU, was not the pick I would have made, personally. Um, based on the guys that were on the board, I personally would have liked Keon White. I do see why do, in part. Do you, did you prefer White because he was more of a traditional like yes. five-tech five edge? He, he had the athleticism, he had incredible length, and he had the bigger size uh, to play to play the D-end position. And then I didn't realize, and I was looking at the two, oh, Keon White was much older. He was already 24. Uh, yeah, he's older. He's got some, I mean, nothing like that jumps out at you in terms of like negativity in, in terms of him as a as a player. But he does have some, some interesting things. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, you like, like at the end of the day, if the Pats take a guy, it's, it, it's probably safe to assume he's a, He's a talented player, but you know, there's some interesting things with him overall that it made sense um, that they went with a guy that can win off the edge consistently, as opposed mm-hmm. to a guy that is more of a power player that has good size and speed, but doesn't have um any like pass rushing ability as as of now yeah ojalari is in- interesting because he fits like football character like at lsu and and i this is not something i was personally aware of or had not studied a ton number 18 is a significant number in lsu's histories when a player is awarded number 18 it's kind of it's kind of like the number 42 for the for the sun devils uh in a way but so someone who get the player who gets selected to wear number 18, that's a significant type thing in terms of football character production and everything. And, and Ojulari was the guy to wear number 18 for the, for the Tigers last year. Very athletic, a little undersized, good, but like some people were kind of comparing him to Hassan Reddick. He is a much longer player than Hassan and not nearly as explosive do you see him? I, I, I'm still not like it's interesting how the Cardinals have their roster set up. It's almost built like they're going to have a three-four look. I'm convinced they're going to make that. They will make roster position changes later as we get closer to the to the season. But he would he would Ojolari would kind of be a better um, three-four linebacker, wouldn't he? Yeah, I mean you could. Look at look at it that way. I think there's a couple things you can look at. One, he can play that overhang, similar to role, similar to what we saw with uh, with what you know, like you talked about with um, 
Hassan Reddick. He's he's not as explosive uh, athletically, but he is a guy that that has good explosive numbers in terms of of the broad jump. Uh, you know, which is which is you know something you and I have talked about is is more important for edge rushers than than a lot of things. Um, and then you talked about he's got really long arms. You know, he's he's got great arm length which, which allows is, him which is really good when you when you rush off the ball it's a little bit less important but when you're there on the edge it is much more important against those tackles right and you you know he he's able to utilize that he's got a, a vast array of pass rushing moves already which is also you know something like i said with keon white who's probably what what you would call a higher uh, floor prospect yeah he's he's a much i would much hate saying stuff like that like but he's a guy that you probably have a lower uh or sorry a higher sorry keon white's a higher ceiling prospect but a much much lower floor right whereas potentially yeah yeah ojalari is more of a like i don't want to say safe in any way shape or form but he's a guy that can go and get you uh you know six to eight sacks a year consistently uh you know and that's again that's a big deal and something that i think gets overlooked a lot um by a lot of by a lot of guys is that people look at it and say well if you're not a 12 plus sack a year guy you're you're useless it's like, no, no, a, a, no. A, a guy that averages six to eight sacks a you year need is you a, need other guys to get sacks on your team unless you unless you have nick bose or tj watt right and even then like you look at it there's been conversations in the last couple days i've read where you know that's one of the things 49ers fans are talking about is like hey we you know God forbid Nick Bosa gets hurt again. Like there's no depth to the pass rushing unless they're moving Eric Armstead back out there. Right. So, you know, there's some guys that he has a good, um, he has a good comparison to, and I text Justin, I think he's asleep cause it's like 1145 there. <laughs> uh, cause I can't remember the guy that we, he and I talked about that he, uh, he's comps pretty well to, um, uh, I think it might have been a man, Emmanuel Ogba, but I could be wrong. Um, I, I, you know, when I get the information, I'll share it. But yeah, because Ogba was like twenty pounds heavier, so it's probably not Ogba, but you know, same type of like good, good vertical, good broad, um, and productive. He he had. If you talk about like the analytical type pressures, the only one who had more pressures than him over the last couple of years, Will Anderson. That's significant. I, I Right. And and again in the SEC. So it's one of those things that we talk about quite a bit. When you have a guy that does it at the at the highest level in in terms of college football, that's a great thing. You know, he's gonna have to get a little stronger at the point of attack. That's his biggest, you know, knock and weakness, but he's a good guy. He's a you know I think it's a big victory in terms of of fit and what they need the next pick that they made there at 72 was that of syracuse cornerback garrett williams a guy who was one of their top 30 meetings it wasn't it, it was not a surprise pick but it wasn't necessarily the pick i would have made especially with some of the corners on the board uh that williams who who 
started his career at, at Syracuse, and he played really well. Oh, man. And sorry, real quick. I just remembered what the comp is for Angelari. Yeah. Sorry, it's Harold Landry. I, oh, I literally right. you, you texted me that during the draft. Yeah, yeah Harold Landry, it, which makes a lot of sense because Tennessee. He played in Tennessee. Right, yeah. And, I mean, you look at it, same type of size, 6'2", 250. Um, you know, uh, Landry was a little, not as long, but same type of, you know, athleticism. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how they, you know, how that fits out. And, and like I said, the, the irony of it was they were both picked at 40 pick 41. Yeah. So the, the Garrett Williams selection, um, pretty good tape, pretty good production. The problem was he tours ACL last season. And so he's not going to be, he didn't do any athletic testing. Couldn't, he's not going to be ready. He says he's going to be ready in July. He's a tad undersized. Um, he makes some of that up with, with longer arms. Um, but athletically he is average. He's an average athletic and he's coming off an ACL tear for, for me, there, there's things to like, especially with, with the type of player, the type of person he is, he fits perfectly high football character. Uh, he, he really, he really connected with Jonathan Gannon, um, based on the, on his, uh, his, the post draft, the, the conference call Radford who's drafted. But, like, for me, that was one of my question marks. Like, it has some he, – he he, there's a potential there of being a very, very good player. But I thought it was one of the riskier picks in terms of potential production. You get a guy in the third round. Now, we've seen third-rounders, like, do nothing. But I think he, he provides one of the biggest question marks because he doesn't have – he's not a plus athlete, and he's coming off the – he's undersized – and he's coming off the knee injury, so you wonder what his ceiling can be. Yeah, and you look at you know Williams; he's a guy um, that, like you said, five ten, one ninety. Um, but he's a guy that plays physical. He's a guy that you know is aggressive, which is uh, something that you know is is important to um, to Gannon and, and what he looks for in cornerbacks, right? He's a, you know, those type of players, they want guys that are, that are hard nosed that like to mix it up. I mean, all the, all the little, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? All the little cliches like that. Right. Um, you know, and so you look at it from that perspective, uh, he comps out, and I know people might poo-poo this or say it's not great, but like a Jordan Lewis type, who's been a you know a decent corner for the Cowboys over the last uh, six seasons. I think he got hurt this year, but you know he's he's been a guy for a third round pick um, that that has started forty three games and you know did all that. In when you look at it, it's a third round pick. Like you're you're taking swings on on certain things, right? And the thing with uh, with Williams is that he was a highly productive guy uh, before the injury, especially that sophomore season or freshman. I don't know what they consider these things anymore. Um, 
but his first two years, right? He had nine passes defensed, two interceptions his first year. Followed it up with nine passes defensed. And then this year, in seven games, he had three passes defensed and two interceptions. So he's right at that one a game. You know, he, he played in 28 games. He had 25, uh, you know, either passes defense interceptions. Uh, so he's right near that one, which is what you're, uh, you're looking for in a corner is a guy that, that has that product on ball productivity is able to work that way. You know, you look at it in, in high school coming out and I know high school testing numbers aren't anything that you can like really lean into in terms of making sure that they're, they're, um, that they comp down well, but like he ran a four, six had a four, two shuttle, which is good. And then he's had a 34 inch vertical and that was as an 18 year old. So like, again, that's like the four, six is obviously people are, but the four, two and the 34 inch vert as an 18 year old, now a 21 year old would be, uh, you know, that that's a good, place and so if you give him you know a little room you say he's a hot four four guy which i think he probably would and and you know probably a low four shuttle time and probably improve that vertical just a couple which is you know 36 37 that, that, does that make makes him, him slightly more that's slightly plus but the numbers he, that we have make him pretty average right and but we don't have any testing numbers right that's true he, he had no testing numbers at all right and so you know you look at it so I'm looking, like I said, the the physical comp, which is again all we have right now, that Jordan Lewis said, and Lewis got picked in the, in the third round, 5'10", 188, So again, almost the same size. He ran a four five four forty, uh, thirty four and a half inch vertical, which is basically what uh, what Williams already had. Uh, so you know, um, it's one of those things where i think you know i i like the player because i like the i like the way he plays the game i'm with you in a couple things like i'm weary wary i don't know what the you know term is but i'm wary of guys coming off an acl that that soon you know like you said i think you were one of the guys that that asked it or had it uh you know he's going to be ready for july camp that's what he's saying he, he's going to be ready for training camp it's just and and again we have to get especially third rounders we have to get past the idea of that they have to be immediate contributors it feels like this is a pick for 2024 more right right which that's not bad because they're the cornerback situation no, no, they, they, not they at got all. I mean, you've got Rashad Fenton. He'll be a free agent after a year. Antonio Hamilton will be free agent again. Marco Wilson. I mean, Marco Wilson's entering year three, so we don't know what what to expect for him. So it's not a bad pick. The next pick that they made um, in round three of their they had three picks in the third round going in. So we will we'll, they traded out of number ninety six because they didn't have any fourth or fifth round picks, and so they picked up um, they picked up a fourth round and two fifth round picks. Uh, well. It, and so they they made sure that they they had selections there, so they traded out of ninety six. But before they did that, at number ninety four, they took Stanford receiver Michael Wilson. Um, Wilson for me, I find it fascinating. 
I find his I find his athletic profile fascinating because he has plus plus athleticism in some metrics and really bad in others. Like his forty time, four five eight is in the twenty second percentile, but his ten yard split <coughs> is insane. His ten yard split is one point five, which puts him in eighty seventh percentile. So he has he is extremely quick. Like initially. <laughs> And that shows, I mean, you look at it, it shows up. His 20-yard shuttle is also below average for, for receivers. We, we didn't see a, a three-cone, so it probably would have been. Well, I'm guessing that the three-cone probably would have been average at best, but his, he's got explosive jumps, um, good height, super strong, super strong, so, and he's, he can block. At uh, 6'2", you, you add some height to that receiver room. He's, but he does, he has good hand size, but he does have, you know, for being a 6'2 guy, he has short arms for that height. That said, he's never, it's like, he's injury prone, sort of. He's never had soft tissue injuries, which, which is one thing. That's Rondell Moore always had that. He's had bone injuries, broken collarbone, broken foot, broken hand. Which again, for a big physical guy is odd but also not odd because one of the best things about him one of the biggest pluses about him is he's an uber uber physical blocking receiver and we've talked about this man i really think he's a guy that fits into what they want to do being run the football in too tight, too wide splits more consistently, and he'll be 100% from day one their best blocker, right? Yeah, potentially. Like he and Zach Pascal, like they've got two physical blockers now in terms of receivers. And, you know, Hopkins will do a little bit too. So they, they, they maintain because they, they, you know, now you keep Hopkins, um, you've got Pascal, and then you've got now uh, Wilson and. Now you've got a little bit of size to to go along with your little guys in Rondell Moore, Greg Dorch, and, and Hollywood. What does he play this year? I don't I don't know how much he plays, but there is some potential there. But you know what did they like most about him? They liked the type of player he was. So it, the theme of day one and day two was character, character, character. Now we we got high production like gr- Paris John, great player, great player, but. The interaction you could, the type of person, the type of guy, the type of teammate, they're going to be high, high character type players. That was purposely the theme, and, and Monty even said that as well. That that was kind of one of the themes going in. I tried to coax a theme out of him on day three. He he wasn't having anything of it, but you could definitely tell that they were purposefully getting guys, and at least on on. On day two in the third round, you have guys coming off of injuries. Now, Michael Wilson, he's completely healthy because he's, he's recovered from the collarbone. Um, they were willing to, in these cases, take um, look past the, the injury and expect recovery um, for high-character guys to add to the locker room. They, the Cardinals, uh, they, get, they drafted several captains. We saw Steve Kimes do the same thing. That's good for the locker room. And guys as well who already graduated their, with their degree. So that also adds to the intelligence side of things. Yeah, and I think one of the things to mention real quick is that, like, Wilson's comp, which is 
I would still say fairly high end. I want to get your opinion on this. Is Muhammad Sanu? It's not bad. Sanu was super productive for for a while. Right. I mean, average, you know, in a span from 2013 until 2019, you know, he averaged right around, um, right around, sorry, I'm doing the math in my head, uh, seven, 600 yards a season, 650 yards a season. And and a guy that, that's, not, based on mock draftable, that, that's his top physical comp is Pierre Garçon, which is... Not a bad, like he had a good stretch for a while. Right. And so, I mean, the thing is, and obviously this is why range of outcomes is so important. And, and Sanu is like, you know, a middle of the road best, I think would be, you know, like you said, a good, a good, good comp. Yeah. Uh, is Michael Thomas. And so, you you know, obviously <laughs> want to go that high. <laughs> All right, coming to next on the Rise of C-Red podcast, Mr. Carlos talking with us. Talk about the guys that he took on day three, five of them. That's coming to next on Rise of C-Red. We're back on the Rise of C-Red podcast, Mr. Cardinals talk on the web. We're on day three. The Cardinals ended up with five selections. When they traded out of the third round, they picked up a fourth-round pick, two fifth-round picks, and then they had two sixth-rounders already. Round four. Round four. This guy, did we, you know, if you, if you, like, if you like some analytics – this is the guy you should be the most excited about, UCLA guard John Gaines. And and I will say this, day three, Monty wouldn't admit it. We asked him about it. The theme of day three picks was plus-plus athletes. Every single one of the guys that they drafted on day three was a plus-plus athlete for their I, – I, I highly disagree. I think the theme of day three was that Monty Austin Fort subscribes to uh, this podcast and the original Draft Breakdown podcast <laughs> and – and talked and picked up guys that so uh you know first first up obviously is john Gaines, a guy we talked about right on the so podcast athletic. one of the freakiest athletes ever um at the at the guard position and i'm not saying that lightly literally one of the best athletes ever at the guard position i mean it's it's incredible and his high-end comp again super high-end probably never going to get there because it's just so high end is Joel Batonio. Yeah. So, so obviously, you know, that was something, but you know, let's go a little, a little lower down. Let's, let's go a little, uh, less all pro E, uh, if you will, (laughs) because again, one of the worst things about comps is, you know, when you start handing out all pros to people, but what if you end up with a guy like Ali Mopet, right? The guy that, that ended up playing really well. I, he made one Pro Bowl, so I mean, still. But he had a great seven-year run, and he retired. Yep. <laughs> so yep. I mean, he was just like hundred hundred games in the NFL, made a good amount of money. Um, all right, deuces, I'm out of here. Like, won a Super Bowl. <laughs> well, I'm thirty. It, it, I'm thirty, and I've got all my health. Like, I right. I made it. I made hey, but it. but we've got we've got to mention. And and I wrote an article about it. This is this is something that I think we need to get out there. And this comes from Josh Norris. Didn't Josh Norris didn't didn't he used to be though? He's on some some fantasy thing. But where did, did he yeah. used to be? Draft Network. No, he was Roto Underworld. Okay, like, okay. Guru so forever. So he found this. He came. He found this number trying to f- track some sort of cheat code. Like if you're going to moneyball it, there's one particular number in the combine that predicts success 
he found it for offensive linemen, and that's the four four seven short shuttle. Since twenty ten. Four four seven four, isn't it? Or is it four four seven? It's four four seven. It's four four seven. Which is again insane. Yes. So since twenty ten, there's only twenty eight players, offensive linemen, who did that at the combine. Twenty four of them drafted. Now twenty five out of twenty nine. And so that that's before this year. So and and Gaines was the only one that met this. So it's twenty five out of twenty nine players who have hit that benchmark on the short shuttle have been drafted. Now, before this year was 24 to 28, and of those 24 players, they accounted for 84% of their games were starts, which is it's not the best match, but it's a really good metric in terms of the type of quality player they are that they start games. And that 84% is a significant thing. And if you add to that a 25th player out of the 28, includes Jake Brendel of the 49ers, who is now developed into their starting center. Um, he, he bounced around for a little bit, became the starting center two years ago, or last year, and just signed an extension. He will be the starting center for the 49ers moving forward. So now you've got, so that John Gaines is the one, and it's just, it's insane some of the numbers that it goes across. First round pick, second round pick, third round, all the way through round seven, they turn into starters. They turn into starters. Uh, it does not everything is like perfectly, but it is as close as you can find as a cheat code. And he can play anywhere on the line. He's, yeah, he legitimately has lined up at every right. offensive line position, and he played hu- hundreds of snaps at center. I know people are a little irritated about it, but you know it's. It is true. It's you know, it's a situation that's true. It's accurate. Like you cannot love it. Um, and and real quick, just so you know, people know that that this isn't a made up or like you know anything like that type of thing. In the fourth round, or, or I shouldn't say that in the in the third round and on. These are the guys that have have hit that number and then started games that you have. You know, you've got Joe Noteboom, who's started a lot of games. Uh, you've got Ezra Cleveland, who started a lot of games. Um, you've got Joe Haig, who started a lot of games. Obviously, Jason Kelsey. Uh, you've got David Quisenberry. You've got Matt Paredes, who I believe was a center for a long time. He was. Uh, and he started, I mean, he literally started for six seasons. Um, you've got Chase Roulier, who's a center, I believe, and then Charles Leno. Charles Leno, easier, to, easy enough to say, right? Uh, Charles Leno, who was a seventh So, like, this isn't just like, oh, if crazy. You dra- right. Oh, if you draft a guy in the, in the top, you know, 20 and this, you know, this works out. No, this is, like this goes across the draft. Right. And so, like I said, like his, his highest, highest end comp is Joel Batonio who's on this list. And then his like mid range comp, the, what you hope he gets to is Ali Marpet who's on this list. Right. But like, even if you get a Charles Leno level player in the fourth <laughs> right. round, I mean, and again, Leno's made a pro bowl. Now they played Leno at left tackle. So, you know, again, that's a little different, but even if you get a Charles Leno level player, 
that's a that's a win. Like that's a good pick. Obviously, like I said, if you end up with a Matt Paredes or a or a, a Roulet, I think both of those guys would be ideal. And Paredes was a center, um, so you know, and and he was Peyton Manning's last center, I believe, uh, was on the Super Bowl team that year. Um, you know, so again, you're talking about guys that have had good careers, and this guy is just a. I, I love this pick in the fourth round. Like this is kind of the opposite of what the Cardinals had been doing along the offensive line um, in terms of, of guys, right? Like, and we, we like a lot of the guys that they've taken, you know, had hope for them, but you look at it like, you know, um, shoot. I mean, <laughs> you can go back a, a long time. Right. But Let's just go with like the the day three guys, and, and so you start with Dorian Johnson. Right? <laughs> oh, oh, Dorian Johnson, unathletic, super unathletic, six five, three hundred five. So the same size I know Gaines is only six three and seven eighths, you know, but six four, uh, fourth round pick didn't even get out of camp. Didn't even get out of camp, he man. Did not like, like, and because he was so unathletic. Um, you know, Mason Cole's been a guy that's that's stuck around for a while. He's he started fifty six games in his career, so I think you can say that was a pretty decent pick. Evan Bain uh, didn't really do much. No, Evan Bain uh, didn't do anything. Um, I'm keep looking, uh, Lamont Gallard. Yeah, Lamont Gilliard hasn't done much. Now the yeah. Cole Toner stuck around for a little while. Yeah, he's, Toner's he, he's he's managed to stick around for quite some time. Um, Will Holden, uh, Will Holden actually, I believe, has changed. He's converted to tight end, I believe. Which <laughs> I think you and I joked about on this show when they drafted him because <laughs> he was so thin. <laughs> but but it's just a departure. I mean, we talked about it, you know, off the air. But you know, Michael Manette, the the center from oh, Penn State, where you're like, wait, is this a a 35 year old socialized teacher? Yeah, so like, what gosh. what are we getting out of here? Um, you know, you, you mentioned, and even the guys last year who they like and who, who knows what they do, but you know, Marquise Hayes, you know, a big, a big boy that doesn't exactly move extremely well. Um, and, and Lasitas Smith, another, you know, Lasitas uh, though fits, he kind of fits more of what that like this, right? Cause he's on the, he, he moves a little better, right? Yeah, he's a four seven eight, so he's you know less obviously, and and uh, no, he was he was he was high above average on the forty, but average to below average for most of the other metrics. But his and one of the things that we're finding a lot on these guys is you know obviously the short shuttle that that, but also that broad jump. If these guys don't have the explosiveness out of their stance, because that's what the broad jump shows, and that's what I was talking about with Ojalary earlier. Like the broad jump is an explosive start, right? And so you're talking about Michael Wilson, his ten yard split is explained by how explosive he is in the broad jump. Right, like he's really explosive out of the gate, and that makes up for the four five eight speed. And so Gaines is not just explosive that way, but he's uh, he's explosive in every way. And and but that was just the tip of the iceberg, right? Because all of a sudden, you get maybe the next Josh McCown. <laughs> I will say, I'm not a. I, I didn't like the pick 
fifth round pick Clayton Tune, quarterback out of Houston. But in, here, here's my thing: the my reason I don't like it is because there were players I would have much rather had than getting a quarterback. And of if the quarterbacks, he's a plus athlete. He was highly productive. He's prototypical size, so he's athletic and the right size. He can make the throws. Um, he's got that edge to him like you, you like quarterbacks to have. He's a leader. But when you had guys on the board like like Izzy Abouakandi um, out of Pitt yeah. or or the, the safety that we loved out of Cal, Daniel Scott, I would have rather the Cardinals gone that route than a quarterback that I don't like I don't like I I I I get I get what people were saying about the backup quarterback position you can get cost controlled. I just think so many holes on the roster. That's that's a future. That's a kind of a future thing to worry about especially when you have like if he had to play this year you're not going to get you're not going to get more production than you're going to get out of Josh you're not going to get out of Colt McCoy or David Blau or or Jeff Driscoll or whoever ends up playing. It that's more of a thing for down the line and I'm and I know that's a, a good thing to have. I just I just wish they'd gone a different direction. Well, so and I I would love to um, give credit to whoever said this. So I but I I don't remember exactly who said it, but they basically, in a nutshell, so I'm paraphrasing, said. Um, Brock Purdy just got nine guys drafted. Oh yeah, I, I believe that. So the, <laughs> I, I yes, totally. The fact that he did what he did after the, being the last picture, player Jack, like we can't miss on and that. That happens ever like every time someone at a particular position succeeds that got passed over multiple times. That position or that type of player gets overdrafted every time after that. Right, and so, so know, I, I get it. I just don't love it. I, I I just I felt it was a waste of a pick when there were players I would have rather have them drafted. My pick. I don't I don't know enough about. I didn't watch Clayton Tune play. Talking to him on the conference call, he's an intriguing dude. I like the fact that he's a plus athlete. But we'll see. I mean that that's the one. And, and I and I told you because you know when you asked, Tune was one of the guys I would take in the in the third round or the third round day three because that's how much i think of him as a potential backup he is um he's a guy that is competitive he has really good athleticism and he's able to you know he's able to move around in the pocket you know like i said i I Josh McCown is an incredibly, incredibly high, high end comp. Like I don't want people to think that that's actually a bad thing. That's an incredibly high end comp. Guy played like guy, twenty years in the NFL, right? Like you're talking about a guy that played and started for almost eighteen years in two different decades. Okay, he started yeah. in two different decades. Now he didn't start a lot of games in between, but he was a starter in two different decades. I mean, he started seventy six games in his career. Yeah. He threw ninety eight touchdowns. And and had less interceptions, so like he was a good yeah. NFL quarterback. So yeah, I mean it's just one of those situations. It, you know, again, it's a super high end comp, but like I think that's his type of ceiling you could get to. The their next fifth round pick, love him, Auburn's uh, Owen Papo, uh, another 
freaky, freaky athlete. Um, I, I don't remember. The, you talked about him when we when we did our defensive preview. I recall, and he he's under he's built like a defensive back. He's built like a safety, and he gave like w- just looking at the physical profile minus that. I'm like that's Kaiser White. That's what Jonathan Gantt and said about him today. Um, when on the they, he gave him Kaiser White vibes, so he's fires up like fired up, fired up, fired up. Like he he was expecting this. He's ready to get on the field already. He like talking about the conference call was something else. And then on top of that, you got freaky athleticism across the board. Now it's not quite as freaky as when you see Isaiah Simmons running a four three nine at six four two thirty eight, but Papo ran a ran a four three nine forty, and. Doesn't it feel like, and we kind of know, that's kind of the range if you're looking at a, at a linebacker that they want on the field. It's a high athletic, intelligent player that they can get on day two or day three. I could totally see him playing because it doesn't, I, I think Kaiser White's going to be their middle linebacker this year. I think the way it sounds right now. But in Isaiah Simmons, playing the Kaiser White role that Kaiser White played last year for the Eagles. That would be a perfect spot for Papo in 2024, right? Yeah, and again, it's a guy that they're they're banking on on traits and a guy that can um you know with his like you said freaky athleticism be able to give them a little bit more Ah, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I'm looking up old Titans rosters right now because he's a, there's a guy. There it is. That's who it reminds me of. Um, there was a guy that the Titans drafted in the fifth round that's started a ton of games in the NFL. Um, and I think that was when four Monty was there, but he was there. They had some crossover. Uh, and he's not he didn't he wasn't as athletic as Papoa so you know the comp's not perfect but Jayon Brown he was another undersized guy that started a lot of games went in the fifth round now Brown is way way more athletic you know uh, uh, or sorry Papoa is way more athletic Brown was like a four seven guy Um, but like size wise and 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 you know, usage wise, I could see that being something, but like you said, the Kaiser white, the, the ability to, you know, fit him into this, into this defense, it all makes sense. And, and I, I mean, the, the crazy thing is, uh, Papoa is more athletic than even like a Kaiser white. Like it's, it's his athleticism is just, super super intriguing and super interesting to kind of follow along with because he's so athletic yeah and so i love the pick i i gave that pick an a or an a minus like it i don't know what there's what there is not to like i couldn't have you look at the players who are available i'm like he's great then we go to the sixth round they have two selections the first of which is Louisville quarter cornerback Keetrell Clark. And then with their final selection, they go with West Virginia defensive lineman Dante Stills. Again, both of them plus athletes. Keetrell Clark is a guy that 
I really liked because of the upside. He's got the he's got that dog mentality that they they talk about. He's fired up. He, you know, he was a top thirty visit. Um, so we his name was was known as the Cardinals had interest. So when he was drafted, it was no surprise at all. And oh, really? Wasn't was it? it, it, it we're like, oh, they're Keetra. He's probably going to go. With, yep, it was Keetra Clark. <laughs> that was one of the picks. Like it was the opposite of every single pick before that. When Luke Whipler was on the board, like they're going to pick Luke. They're going to pick, and then never. We Tony Pauline just that that that's one of those things why um, man did he get some bad advice oh man because th- th- there's that's that reason like my, as a network I, you know I, he gets a lot of he gets a lot of information and and he shares that and that's fine that's that's good because he's getting information he talks to a lot of people but his stuff is not always especially when it talks about who people are interested in he reported that he heard where that the dead set the Cardinals will draft Luke Whipler so we were all waiting for it because it all makes sense they need a center he's a center he's one of the better centers in the, in the draft class and then all the other centers are going and he doesn't go till round six I'm like oh wow wow bad look that's it's a bad look to be that um arrogance probably not the right word but like that or to present it like that right exactly and but um, it's so but yeah so Keetrell Clark um again he's not like they 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 drafted two cornerbacks who are not the in terms of the physical profile they don't give you exactly what you want in terms of length but they give you other things that he he isn't as plus an athlete as a lot of other he is fast so he he's got 89th percentile 10 yard split he's his 44240 in 78th percentile but everything else is his vertical was in the 30 of 30 percentile so it was was the vertical was at 34 and a half which is by all means hey that's that's fantastic i can't do that um broad jump at at 10 foot two and the broad the the broad was the broad was good um you know it was it it was average i should say yeah and so uh but he does have small hands and small arms and he's lean he is lean that's one of the big things with him um you know you've got a guy that is going to have to show that he's able to um, play that physicality or use that physicality. Um, his change healthy. of yeah, his change of direction is kind of the most worrisome thing for me. His high end would be like a uh, like a Jonathan Jones, the guy that's in I think New England right now. Yeah. Um, you know, that would be his high end and, and he was undrafted, I want to say. So, uh, you know, he, that would be something that would be a good outcome for, for the Cardinals, obviously. Um, you know, it's just going to be interesting to, to follow him because he's a guy that, like you said, it was, I don't want to say obvious, but like, it was one of those situations that became, clear that they liked him quite a bit so we'll see how this all works he, out he had great on the ball production because he, he had 25 career pass breakups in addition to his five interceptions so he had really good on ball production which is good so again that, that's one of the metrics that you that you and justin like is that on ball on ball production and so and then but and then dante stills they finally addressed the defensive line you know 
on the board was still more of a Jomo, and like I, I, on the surface, I'd go, I'd rather. Then I looked at, I looked at they, they were, I looked at the two players. I'm like, okay, they both played five years, so they're both older. Stills was more productive and is more athletic, and Ojomo was a player that guys were saying round three he could go. I I love the Stills pick because you know you get a, a highly athletic interior defender. There's there's always a plus side to that. It rarely it rarely, especially in round six, it's never a bad pick. And there was really if looking at the guys that were left on the board. There was never there wasn't anybody else. I'm like. I would have rather had him. I looked at the names. I thought I might rather have Moro Ojomo out of Texas. Then I looked at the two, and I compared the two. I'm like, oh, Stills is the better pick. Yeah, and, you know, I talked about it the other day. He he kind of has a a comp similar to Corey uh, Redding, who played a long time in the NFL. Now, he was a third-round pick, but coming out, I think he was and, – and he got big over his career. But coming out, he was 6'4", 279. So like, he went from six four two seventy nine to six four three eighteen at the end with the <laughs> Cardinals, um, you know. And obviously, I think Redding would be a super high end comp. You know, again, that's like the best case scenario uh, for him. And you know, mock draftable physically matches up with jo- Jonathan Babineau, who would be a very very good comp, like right. a very high end comp. Right. Again, so you look at it, something like that would be ideal you know Babino is i think yeah second round pick um ironically uh redding had a better career but they both played forever i mean yeah Bab- Babino was with the texas or the sorry the falcons Babino. for uh 12 years i mean so again the one thing that you worry about oh wow is wow You'd, you'd say you see the eighth percentile in bench press, and you're like, whew, and then you put your look, and like, oh, he put up 20, 20, 20 reps of 225. That's right. not weak. <laughs> I guess that's not weak. It's just not – it's just not – I guess that puts – so the I guess what you're saying, what we look at here is that from 20, you go to 21, that jumps you up significantly, or you go to 22, that jumps you up significantly in the percentiles, doesn't it? Because it, it, if at 20 he's in the – in the eighth percentile, that means like minimal increases increases that percentile significantly because you know what what is right. it, what is probably average about twenty five. Uh, for a D line, yeah, I would think so. I would think that twenty five is probably so five more reps and he's average. So you know, well that five that's two hundred twenty five. That that seems significant, but you know. I don't. I I still love the pick. Um, he gives he he doesn't that make him the most athletic guy on that D line? <laughs> oh man, yeah. Unfortunately, right, <laughs> right. I'm like they have a bunch of just guys, and that, so we now find we have an athletic freak on that defensive line, and he's their last pick in the draft. Well, right. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We will see what happens with that. I liked the picks. Like uh, Garrett Williams is the biggest question mark for me, and Clayton Toon. Like, and and uh, people have been at me. I'm like, I get it. I get there's value to it. I just personally, I wanted a diff. I wanted different players there. For me, I that that was my least favorite pick was the, was the quarterback pick. And sure, he might be, but I would I wanted 
to go like they didn't address the running back position, which I feel that they needed to do. And there was a really good running back that I liked from Pitt that was right there on the board. I now I they didn't need it, but I thought Daniel Scott was a great pick at that point in the draft. Yeah, and I mean, but you look at it, the overall theme, like you said, on day three plus athletes. Yeah, athletes, but not just athletes, right? So I think I, I mean, they, they still were they still were very very high character guys. Well, and high character too. But one of the things that you saw was productive at productive college players. So, like again, one of the things that you that we go back to, and you know, you don't want to beat the dead horse too much. Like Chad Lawrence, guy that you and I both like, like middling production and injuries through most of his career right uh, and again fourth round pick so you're taking a chance on a guy when he's healthy he's been and he's, he's probably their best defensive lineman when healthy lucky foe too again middling production um freak out in, co- in college yeah more athlete but like you look at the guys like dante stills uh you know, Keytrail Clark, Clayton Toon. These are high. I mean, Dante Stills had seven sacks last year, four and a half this year. He had, Was he had 20, 15. He had 24 and a half sacks. 24 and a half sacks in his career. 53 tackles for loss. He had no fewer than nine tackles for loss in each of the last four seasons. Right. That's, and you look at it. And again, again, I'm not trying to pick on like Lecky or, or, or Rashard Lawrence, but like, Rashard Lawrence best season he had 10 tackles loss. That's like the average for Dante Stills, right? Lucky Fotu never had over 7 tackles for loss. He had 4 sacks total in his career. So like they were going more towards the Mark Wilson type of player with with productivity in their past, played a lot of games. I, th- um, I thought Jalen Redmond would have been a type of player they got, but uh, he ended up going undrafted, which is like, but getting stills who is the same type of profile that worked for me, honestly. Right. Right. And, and, and I think part of it is stills was just more productive. Yeah, absolutely. He was, he was, I mean, like you said, Redmond had one good year. Stills had, or sorry, Redmond had good fresh or freshman year and, and a decent senior year where stills had like three, good years and so it's just balancing it out but that's why i said it's like it was interesting to see their first draft and like we said you know it's the first one so we're taking notes but we're not uh we're not not sold yet on the we're on not the sold <laughs> on the plan on but, how but we doing. now it that looks like there's a trend we'll see if that happens in 2024 where they have 11 picks right now i know right <laughs> and and Potentially, I mean, not potentially, six in the top one hundred for sure, yes. and, and and potentially six in the top one seventy five or something like that. That's crazy. That's crazy. But we should probably wrap up the show. We're we're closing in on an, an hour forty. <laughs> it's like a movie. This is this is the the motion picture version of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. <laughs> but anyway, we will be back for, for a show later this week. We'll talk about some of the other minor issues. DeAndre Hopkins didn't get traded. Um, Isaiah Simmons' option wasn't picked up. We'll have a shorter episode coming up later this week. That's Seth Cox. I'm Jess Root. This is Rise of Secret Podcast. Thanks for listening, as always.
Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red.